Hello and welcome to this special edition of Salt and Light Radio. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. Today, we will be replaying some of our best interviews from the past. We'll be hearing from Michel Boulevard from the Canadian Organization for Life and Family about the controversial euthanasia bill that keeps getting reintroduced in Parliament over and over again. And we'll be talking about healing and miracles with author Karen Zizzo. Our featured artist of the week is Steve Angrisano, and we will be speaking to him a little later on in the program too. But we begin with an opening commentary from January 2010. Last Sunday, Pope Benedict XVI visited the Great Synagogue in Rome, meeting with leaders of Rome's Jewish community and the chief rabbi of Italy. The Holy Father also was the first visitor opening the Jewish Museum of Rome, commemorating the history of the Jews in Rome. This visit, of course, sparked again the whole controversy of the Vatican and the Jews, reminding everyone that Benedict has declared Pius XII a venerable, in effect, beginning the process of his canonization. This has angered a lot of people who are under the belief that Pius XII was, and I quote, Hitler's Pope. Let me explain. Pius XII was Pope during the whole Second World War. His critics say that he turned a blind eye to Hitler's extermination of the Jews. Why? because he never made any public statements. He never publicly criticized or attacked the Nazis, and he didn't excommunicate Hitler, who apparently was a baptized Catholic. Defenders of Pius XII say that an excommunication would not have done anything, and that Pius, had Pius been more vocal, the repercussions against the Jews and Catholics would have been much worse. What I've learned is that, in fact, Pius was very openly against the Holocaust. The Daily Vatican radio broadcasts during the whole war were one of the very few in Europe that detailed what was really going on. In 1943, the Vatican sent a memorandum to the United States detailing the extermination of Jews in Poland. This was 1943, and the United States Secretary of State responded by saying that there wasn't sufficient evidence. The real truth is that the Catholic Church and the Vatican, under Pius XII's guidance, saved more Jews than any other organization at the time. There were clear directives to all religious congregations to shelter Jews in their monasteries, convents, and parishes. The Vatican itself was shelter for thousands of Roman Jews. And more baptism certificates were issued to Jews at the time than ever before. Now, you can say that all this is speculation or hearsay, but I take my cue from the many Jewish leaders at the time who thanked Pius XII and the Church for the work that they did during the war. In fact, at the end of the war, Pius XII was hailed as the inspired moral prophet of victory and enjoyed near-universal acclaim for aiding European Jews. Numerous Jewish leaders, including Albert Einstein, Israel's Prime Ministers Golda Meir and Moshe Charest, and Chief Rabbi Isaac Herzog, expressed their public gratitude to Pius XII and praised him as a righteous Gentile. Jewish author Pincus Lapid, in his book Three Popes and the Jews, wrote that Pius XII was instrumental in saving at least 700,000 Jews, but probably as many as 860,000 Jews from certain death at Nazi hands. 
It's true that many documents are still coming out, so let's pray that the truth about Pius XII is revealed and that the whole world comes to know that his stance, that anti-Semitism is not compatible with Christianity, has been and always will be the stance of the Catholic Church. I'm Pedro Guevara Mann, and this is Salt and Light Radio. That was an opening commentary which first aired in January 2010. Here now is our featured Artist of the Week, Steve Angrisano, with his song Come and See from his album Inescapable Love. Searching for, hoping for something real Praying this water might make me
You're listening to a special edition of Salt and Light Radio. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. That was Steve Angrisano with his song, Come and See. We'll be speaking to Steve in a little bit, so don't go anywhere. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel, Sirius 159 and XM 117. Do you ever wonder if God cares? Do you think that God intervenes in people's lives? Or do you sometimes feel that you need encouragement and hope? Well, all these questions are questions that Karen Zizzo addresses in her book, Ask and You Shall Receive, A Miracle for Stephen. This is the story of, her, of, of God's involvement and healing in the life of her family. And Karen Zizzo joins us now on the phone. Hello, Karen. Welcome to Salt and Light Radio. Thank you. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, tell us a bit about, about your son Stephen's illness. Okay, well, um, I guess I should start out by saying that uh, this happened a number of years ago. Um, it actually occurred in 1987. He was seven years old. He's now a 30-year-old um, medical doctor, but uh-huh. uh, at the time he was seven, and he was given three months to live with um, by the medical community, community with something called neuroblastoma, and that's cancer of the lymph system. And it's a terminal thing uh, in young children. Sometimes there's the occasional... Um, case of a, a younger uh, child, even, you know, younger than seven, a baby, or maybe even up to two to three, actually, them being able to survive this. But what, by right. the time you get to the age of seven, um, there were no recorded cases of people surviving this. So this was pretty b- bad news. So, so, so just to clarify, so as soon as you and your, and your husband's a doctor as well, let me yeah, just clarify. So yeah. as soon as you heard Would neuroblastoma, you knew that it was pretty much a death sentence. Yeah, and he did too. Um, he basically, you know, said, you know, Karen, she, he's going to be dead in three months, and this is uh, this is devastating. And you can imagine with yes. him too, as a as a family doctor, and not being able to do anything about it uh, when you know this is what he does all day, every day, helping people <laughs> in the medical field, and couldn't do a thing for his own son. Right. Yeah. So. Um, you know, we were just chatting a couple of minutes ago about the whole idea of hope, and that's exactly what happened when we were given this diagnosis. Uh, we were in the hospital, and the doctors came out and said, he's got three months, and we said, are you sure? Can you give us a percentage, you know, that maybe a little bit of hope, uh, that something, it could be a mistake, or it could, you know, be not what you think, or whatever, yeah. and they said no. This so, is what so, it is. So, so sorry, so, so it, the, the doctors, in I guess, in their... Uh, well, they're trying to be realistic. They're trying to not to give you any false expectations, but yes. inadvertently they were, in fact, taking away your hope. Exactly, and, and, that's, and that's exactly what happened. And you can imagine how devastating that is. And yes. it happened so quickly, too. I mean, um, just to sort of give you the, the beginnings of it, um, he had come home playing hockey on a Saturday morning, and my husband took his equipment off and noticed this uh, lump on, on the right side of his neck. And by the end of the weekend, it was the size of an orange. And by Monday, I had him into the family doctor, and they did x-rays and all that and took um, and, and found that there was a large 7-by-7-centimeter um, um, mass in his chest, which is the size of a grapefruit in a young seven-year-old. So you can imagine, yeah. the doctors immediately thought that was primary, the one on the neck was secondary, and they did take a biopsy of the one on the neck, and there were cancer cells uh, under the right. microscope. So this was the diagnosis we got immediately. And so the interesting thing was, um, you know, as you can imagine, you're devastated, and any parent would be. And um, 
it, I guess because I had been, you know, raised uh, in the church and gone to Catholic schools and so on, uh, immediately I defaulted to, well, what about prayer? Yeah. You know, what about going to God and, and the God of the impossible? And, uh, you know, I, I mean, basically what I'm saying to people is, you know, um, yes, medicine can help, but sometimes it can't, but it doesn't mean it's over. Yeah, you know? and you know what? It's interesting. I, I, I don't want to uh, to uh, sh- shorten the story, but I, I just sort of want to encourage people that if they want to find out more about the story, they should read the book. Because mm-hmm. um, I do want to jump ahead because sure. you can look at the f- situation and think, well, did God really heal him? Or was right. it that it's something that could be explained scientifically? Because there were some procedures. I, I don't yeah. remember if there was radiation or chemo, but... Um, but the tumor disappeared, or... or yes, uh, it did disappear, but, I mean, the, that was the one on the neck, but the one in the chest was actually surgically removed. Okay. What they did tell us was that it was 99.99% going to be malignant. And after much, much prayer, which, you you know, you would hear all the details in the book, yes. it came out benign, and right. everybody was shocked, including all the specialists and everybody involved. They just not could, couldn't believe. They told us we won the lottery, is how they right, put it. Right, right. Yeah, so and so, could, yeah, but I deep down inside knew that there'd been like thousands and thousands of people praying. I'm not yes. kidding. Like we got this going. Like we networked well before the word was popular. <laughs> yes, and it was amazing because the amount of focused prayer in in you know in intention on my son uh, for his healing was unbelievable, and also on us because I could feel it. I could feel being buoyed up by the prayer because there was so much of it. So you you are convinced that the support that you had not just from your family, your friends, your your priest, your parish priest, but your parish community and right. all the strangers, people yep. that never even you don't even know were praying for you, yep. uh, made a huge difference in uh, the healing of Stephen. Well, it what I believe it happened is all of this love and all of this prayer uh, culminated in a miracle for us. And yeah. uh, and and when they took that tumor out in the chest, um, it it ended up then it was benign, and then they wanted to start chemo that Friday to kind of continue to take care of the one on his neck, but right. we kind of halted it right at that point because, you know, so many things had happened so quickly mm-hmm. that we said, let's just wait a little bit, but then that started to go down, and he never did have chemo, even so though they wanted to put him on chemo. three years of chemo. Exactly, which would have So been the whole hard. thing was miraculous, and if you yeah. had my husband standing beside me, and he said, what happened from beginning <laughs> to end? He yeah. said, you know what? Medically, I can't even explain it, and yeah. I would have to say, and I'm a scientist, I would have to say something divine happened here, yeah. because I don't know what happened from beginning to end, because it made no sense to me. Yeah, Karen, just a note for anyone that might be joining the program at, at this time, okay. you're listening to Salt and Light Radio, my name is Pedro, and we're speaking with uh, inspirational speaker and author Karen Zizzo about uh, the experience she had when her son uh, was healed uh, from cancer when he was seven years old. Karen, this experience taught you and your family many things. You you outlined those very nicely in the book, mm-hmm. but uh, but you also felt that they needed to be organized in a different way, maybe even for a different audience. And that's the theme of your second book, "Ask and right. You Shall Receive: Spiritual Strategies for Success in Word." That's a long title. <laughs> for success <laughs> in word and li- in work and life. So yes. can you tell us um, a little bit about these lessons? Uh, don't give us all because we want people to, to look for the book. Oh, um, right. But just an idea uh, as to what, what, how these lessons can be applied in our daily life and work. Okay, well, as you can imagine, when you go through a life-altering experience like that, there are things that you learn, and I mean, that was one of my prayers, what were we to learn through all of this? And uh, these seven life lessons, then, I realized uh, weren't just for us, they're for everybody. Uh-huh. And... Um, 
basically after I told the story in the first book, I decided that with the second book, I was going to take those spiritual strategies and write about them for everybody, uh, for work and life. And it didn't matter your religion, your background or whatever, it applies to everyone. But I have the story to tell, which is where it came from, you know, which okay. gave me the credibility to talk about it. And uh, even the title of the book, Ask and You Shall Receive, is giving you a hint in terms of one of the big life lessons about asking and believing, and then receiving. And, of course, the component there is belief. If you don't believe, you don't get, right? Right. Can I mean, you, you have to believe. And everything's about asking in life. And I think that there's a whole lot of people, and we asked for prayer, you see, and okay. there's a whole lot of people that are afraid to ask, think they're bothering people, don't want to ask, are private, all these sorts of things. So that mm. was the first lesson. And there are many more okay. um, that, you know, you will find both in the first book and then apply to the, the second book. And then apply the second book. Yeah. No, excellent, Karen. Thank you so much for sharing a little okay. bit of your experience with us. Um, Wonderful. Uh, Karen Zizzo is an author, inspirational speaker. You can get more information about her and her ministry and how to get the books at her website, KarenZizzo.com. Zizzo is Z-I-Z-Z-O, KarenZizzo.com. Thank you so much, Karen, oh, for thank you spending for having this time me. with us. Thank you. Take care. That was a conversation with author Karen Zizzo that first aired in January 2010. You're listening to a special edition of Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel and on the internet at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. If you'd like to comment on anything you hear on this program, send us an email, radio at saltandlighttv.org. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. Coming up, what's wrong with euthanasia? But first, here's an opening commentary from April 2010. Turns out that the government of Ontario has been planning on rolling out some changes to their school curriculum. These changes cover many subjects, but mainly in the areas of health and physical education. The changes also include how the areas of sexuality are taught. I should say included since this new curriculum has been axed, at least for the time being. What happened? Well, people complained. To give you an example, other than teaching kids in grade one about body parts using all the proper names, eight-year-olds would also learn about homosexuality, grade six students would be learning about masturbation, and 12-year-olds would be learning about oral sex. Now, did I say that people complained? What's more, and let me explain, in Ontario there's a publicly funded Catholic school system. And that's a whole other conversation, but apparently the Catholic schools were not planning on using this new curriculum, which the ministry had apparently made mandatory. So my question is, who did they consult? How is it that parents only heard last week when the president of the Canadian Christian College sounded the bells? And those complaining were not just Christians or other religious groups. Several ethnic groups complained that the new curriculum offended their traditional values. Now, I don't know if teaching these things is so bad. The question is how these things are being taught. And the truth is that currently there are teachers who have their own agendas who are teaching things to our kids even in the Catholic school system. As parents, the only defense is to make sure that we are also teaching at home, that we understand what the church teaches and why, and that we pass that on to our children, not as knowledge, but as values. Don't wait to teach your kids about sex because before you know it, they will learn it from someone else. 
and let's hope that the new Catholic sex ed curriculum based on the theology of the body will be implemented very soon in Catholic high schools across the province. I'm Pedro Guevara Man, and this is Salt and Light Radio. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. This is a special edition of Salt and Light Radio, and you just heard an opening commentary that first aired in April 2010. Here now is Steve Angrisano from his album Inescapable Love, the song Pour Out Your Love.
That was Steve Angrisano with his song, Pour Out Your Love. A conversation with him is coming up. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel, Sirius 159 and XM 117. The Canadian Parliament is currently considering a bill to legalize euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide. This is Bill C-384, proposed by Bloc Québécois Member of Parliament Francine Lalonde, and it's a bill that would alter the criminal code to allow doctors to cause quick and painless death if a patient, and I quote, appears lucid if the patient is also aware of other treatment options and has made two written requests. So that's kind of a a brief outline. Um, Because it's a private member's bill, this bill, C-384, already received one hour of debate on October 2nd and is scheduled for a second hour of debate on December 1st with a vote the following day. And to help us sort out what the legalization of euthanasia or assisted suicide would mean for Canadians. We're joined now by Michelle Boulevard. She's the director of COLF, the Catholic Organization for Life and Family. Michelle, welcome to Salt and Light Radio. Hello. So, Michelle, what is the current state of the law in Canada right now? Well, right now, the criminal code says that euthanasia uh, is a first-degree murder if it is planned and a second-degree murder if it is not planned. And in both cases, uh, you get a life sentence. Uh, And for assisted suicide, that's a separate offense in the criminal code and with a maximum penalty of 14 years. Okay, and uh, okay, so maybe we need to just b- b- take a step back and clarify the difference between euthanasia and assisted suicide. I think a lot of people are confused about those two. Yes, and there is a lot of confusion. You're right. Uh, euthanasia is the intentional killing of someone with or without his or her consent, uh-huh. either by act or omission. Okay. And assisted suicide is when a person kills himself or herself with the help of another person who provides the means to carry out the act. Okay, so then the basic difference is that in euthanasia, someone else does the killing, which is why it would be murder, and in in assisted suicide, I would kill myself, which is why it's suicide, but it's assisted. With my help. So so the help being uh, presumably the doctor, which is why it's usually called physician-assisted suicide, in that the doctor uh, writes a prescription Yes, and it could be also uh, a needle. So, so, but the, but the doctor does not... Uh, oh, you were talking about assisted suicide. Assisted yes, suicide. a prescription, and so the patient gets the, uh, the, the, the fills, has it filled out, has it filled and up, will but take it whenever, takes the pill whenever he or he feels like it. Okay, so... You know, you mentioned just before about confusion, and I yeah. think it's very important at this time to, dis- to make the distinction between euthanasia and the refusal of aggressive treatment. Okay, because yeah. Because when death is imminent and, you know, it's really coming, it's perfectly legitimate to refuse medical procedures which are disproportionate with the, uh, to the desired results okay. or too burdensome for the patient uh, to, you know, to suffer. The, and, and the other thing that's important and people don't seem to know is that it's, there's no legal obligation in Canada to receive treatment. You can accept or refuse any treatment or ask that it be discontinued. Okay, so uh, can you give us an example? So if I'm... If well, I'm for example, let's say um, you are receiving uh, artificial nutrition and hydration. 
Okay, which is like considered a, ordinary care, so not through, treatment. Through a tube. In principle, it's supposed to be given to the patient, okay? okay? Because you need food and water to live. Now, near the end of life, when the body uh, is no longer able to assimilate food and water, uh-huh. or then the, that procedure becomes too burdensome. It can make the patient suffer more. Okay. So in that case, it's perfectly okay to discontinue even artificial nutrition and hydration. Okay. The other uh, thing people uh, wonder about is the withdrawal or the withholding of uh, extraordinary treatment, disproportionate treatment, when the burdens outweigh the benefit. Okay. If you do that, if you withdraw or withhold that type of treatment, which is disproportionate, it is not euthanasia. Okay. There's I, a really big difference between allowing someone to die and making someone die. Yes, okay. And 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 I guess that that's where the a bit of the shady area um it lies. I wanted to since you brought up the 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 issue of extraordinary care and ordinary care because I know I remember when when the whole issue with Terry Shivo was was happening that that that, that was the issue that she was she was denied food and water yes. because it was considered extraordinary care because she required a feeding tube. Is that the same the case no, in Canada? No, because, you see, legally speaking, that was not euthanasia. Uh, but medically or <laughs> morally speaking, it was because she was not dying at all. She at was all. healthy, yeah. She And so there was no uh, reason to, to uh, starve her to death or make her be, become dehydrated. So, yes, that was euthanasia. Okay, I see. But, so, but my question is, here in Canada, is food and water that requires a tube considered extraordinary care? That is what we called artificial nutrition or okay. hydration. Okay. And that's ordinary care, and it's supposed to be given to patients. Okay. Except if, if it becomes too burdensome, like at the end of life. Okay, let's talk. When they, you know, yeah. No, sorry, um, let's talk a bit about specifically about the bill and what what it would mean. But just a note for anyone joining the program at this time: you're listening to Salt and Light Radio. I'm your host, Pedro. We're speaking to the director of the Catholic Organization for Life and Family, Michel Boulevard, about the bill that's uh, uh, in front of Parliament uh, right now uh, that would u- uh, legalize euthanasia and assisted suicide. So, what what specifically does this bill say? Well, would as you mentioned in your introduction, uh, this bill would legalize euthanasia and assisted suicide in Canada. Okay. Uh, What's important to understand is this is not only for the terminally ill. A person could request euthanasia uh, right after being diagnosed, let's say, with uh, cancer and not be actively dying. That person could still have many good years to live and just ask for for euthanasia right away. Okay. And the bill also says uh, it would allow for the killing of anyone 18 years old and over, who okay. requests it uh, at 10 days of interval, mm-hmm. and who uh, people who are in severe chronic mental or physical pain or depression, right? even if the peop- those people have refused appropriate treatment. Okay. So, in fact, it would allow uh, a physician to kill uh, someone within two weeks uh, if uh, there is another physician who also confirmed their condition. Yeah. And if the person, the bill says, appears to be lucid, you must just appear to be lucid. Right, which, which is incredible. Anything. Yeah, I know. Okay, well, uh, let me just play devil's advocate here for a second, because I understand as, as a Catholic or as a Christian why I would think that, that, that suicide is wrong. But if someone wants to end their life, w- w- why not 
help them. <laughs> Sorry. Well, What's you, wrong you, with this? It was, uh, something really incredible, I would answer this way. In Quebec, in the province of Quebec, for example, every year there is a whole week of suicide prevention, okay? Yeah. Because we feel it's terrible. We should not let people kill themselves like that, okay? Mm-hmm. Because we recognize that each person has an inherent dignity uh, that cannot be taken away by a lack of uh, uh, physical or mental health, okay? Yeah. So this dignity needs to be respected. Yeah. So we cannot help somebody kill himself or herself. So we are called to help them ease their pain, to make them comfortable, to try we to... Are her, you know, yes, exactly. We're, we're called to eliminate the pain and not the patient, not the person. Right. You understand? So killing is not an adequate response to no, pain. No, c- caring can never be killing. Is it possible that the pain can be so unbearable that it cannot be relieved? Uh, the uncontrollable pain is quite, quite rare. The physicians I've talked to and specialists in, in palliative care and pain control say that in 99% of cases, severe pain can be relieved. And so if it is not always relieved, it is often because some physicians lack formation in pain management. Right, yes. And uh, the, the uh, palliative care alternative is really the alternative uh, when people are uh, nearing the end of life and they are going through difficult times and, uh, you know, uh, difficult, a lot of pain. And in the extreme cases when um the uh, medication cannot control the pain, there is what they call palliative sedation. Yes. Uh, it's like a, an artificial sleep where pe- a person do not feel their pain. Okay, of course, this sedation, palliative sedation uh, is, is quite all right, uh, as long as the intention is to control the pain and not to kill and the not patient. not to kill the person. Um, I, I, w- I wanted to ask you, what... Um, May I say something? Yes, go ahead. We hear a lot about choice. You know, this is my choice. Yes. You know, and this idea of choice and autonomy is really an illusion. Mm-hmm. Because a bill like Bill C-384 is not about choice. It's about giving physicians the right to directly and intentionally cause death. Right. And for that reason, it, in, it endangers all Canadians because we're all going to get old and, you know, come, we'll die one day, all of us. You yeah, know? yeah. Uh, so I think it would be uh, very uh, unfortunate, well, not more than unfortunate, it would be terrible if this uh, euthanasia would become, came, became uh, legal in Canada. Uh, who could trust doctors then, you know? Yeah, you, going to your doctor, you wouldn't know if he wants to kill you or, or let you live. Now, so, some people that, that uh, oppose this bill d- may not oppose the idea of euthanasia. They just oppose the bill because they feel it's too, uh, it's too broad. Do you think that it would be possible to legalize euthanasia and assisted suicide with the proper safeguards, or do you think that that's also a myth? Well, if you look at the experience of other countries, um, you realize that no matter what the pro-euthanasia uh, lobby says, um, the, there is a slippery slope. If you take, for example, the uh, what happened in um, Holland, yeah. uh, they, they now have a, a protocol called uh, the Groningen Protocol, yes. which allows for the euthanasia of newborn severely uh, newborns that are severely disabled. disabled. Yeah. This is eugenics. Yes. It is no longer just euthanasia. And that's yeah. And uh, yeah. And in that same country, uh, the Many, well, many, I don't know, some elderly people are moving to nearby Germany 
because they don't trust their doctors anymore, and they're afraid of that their families will have them euthanized. So, that so they're moving to, to Germany. So that other people will be making that decision for them. Exactly, because, it, you know, the right to die, the so-called right to die, uh, soon becomes a, a duty to die. A duty to die. Especially when uh, the costs of health care are going up so much and our population is getting uh, older. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's, uh, it's very worrisome. So people this, don't want to be a burden. This bill really is the perfect recipe for the abuse of the vulnerable. Yeah, exactly. You know? Which, it's yeah. Um, we're almost out of time, but I did want to ask you, if people want to get involved, what do you suggest that they do? Well, I would, three things, four things. One, number one, know the issues. Get yeah. informed. Two, get involved. Write to your MPs, visit your MPs, write to the newspapers, call the radio shows. Yeah. Uh, join initiatives organized by, you know, uh, pro-life organizations and mobilize others. Talk to your friends, to your family. You know, give them formation once you've gotten it for yourself. Yes. And uh, pray and fast. Yes. As Christians, we know that those are spiritual arms are very powerful. Yes. So we need to pray for uh, our MPs. We need to pray for uh, the uh, people involved in the pro-euthanasia uh, movement. Yes. Uh, we need to pray for... Uh, the, the people making decisions in in uh, parliament mm -hmm. and uh, i would say one last thing mm -hmm. uh, as a christian i'm talking now there there are many good religious reasons to oppose euthanasia and assisted suicide yes okay? but you really don't need to rely on these reasons especially in the public square in a society where uh, there's an allergy to religious discourse and there's no reason, because the fundamental reasons to say no to euthanasia and assisted suicide are, uh, first and foremost, purely natural, yes, human reasons that yes. promote the well-being of all Canadians. Exactly. So it's not specifically a religious issue. No. Um, so I would suggest people visit uh, Call's website, yes. uh, www.colf.ca, yes, or the website of the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition, which is doing a fantastic yes. job in Canada. Yeah, excellent. So, And we will direct people to that website. We have those links actually off our website as well. Great. So, Michelle, thank you so much for speaking to us. This is a pleasure. fascinating topic and we'll, we'll, be, we'll be paying attention to the news as the, as the weeks come. Great. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was Michelle Boulevard. She's the director of the Catholic Organization for Life and Family. She spoke to us from Ottawa. If you want to know more about euthanasia and assisted suicide, as Michelle said, you should go to the COLF website. It's www.colf.ca and the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition. Just uh, type it into your search engine, Euthanasia Prevention Coalition. Both those links will be off our website, saltonlighttv.org slash radio. I also would like to invite you to go to our blog, at Salt and Light TV. I have a series of articles on the dignity of dying, which will be posted in the weeks to come. So that's again, saltandlighttv.org slash blog. And write to us, tell us what you think about this issue. Do you think euthanasia and assisted suicide should be legal? Send us your comments to radio at saltandlighttv.org and we will be happy to read them on the air. Hi, this is Sarah Hart and you're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel, Sirius 159 and XM 117. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. That conversation with Michelle Boulevard first aired in November 2009. This is a special edition of Salt and Light Radio. Remember that our blog can be read at saltandlighttv.org slash blog. This is Fred Cachati, and you're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel, Sirius 159 and XM 117. 
one of the most effective and inspiring youth ministers I have ever heard is Steve Angrisano. He's honest, authentic, he's real. In the last 11 years of ministry, he's touched the lives of thousands of young people and adults alike. I met Steve again, as I do most of my uh, Catholic musician friends, as we were preparing for World Youth Day 2002. Um, I'm not sure at what conference we met, but somewhere. And since then, I can say that we've grown to be able to call ourselves friends. Just uh, too bad that he lives in Colorado and I can't just go to this, you know, the weekday barbecue <laughs> that he's having today. Um, um, but we can talk on the phone. So that's where how we reached him today. Steve, welcome to Salt and Light Radio. Hey, glad to be with you. And, and we met at L.A. Congress in California. That's where we met. Anaheim? Yep, in Anaheim. Anaheim, yeah. See, good for you. Good to remember that. I, I wasn't sure if it had been NCYC in Indianapolis. Cause I think I don't, I, it could have been, but I don't Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I don't know. So um, did you like how I, I plugged in your barbecue today? I loved it, and you know, you could say, if you hop a plane right now, um, I'm I'm close enough that you could be eating steak by evening. Oh, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> um, so Steve, I, and I said eleven years, and I meant to ask you. So, eleven years of ministry, more or less. Yeah, you know, it's unfortunately I'm getting older and older. So, <laughs> so about sixteen years altogether. Is it sixteen years now? About twelve years now. Eleven is about right. Eleven to twelve yeah. years that. I've been traveling on the road full-time. Yeah, so it's like full-time, 11 years. So how did you get, okay, maybe two parts, because how did you get into ministry, and then how did that evolve into full-time? You know, I, I got into ministry because I was a young person involved in it at my church. I, I went to the kind of events that I now speak at and, mm. and sing at, and I saw it just had a tremendous impact on me. A guy named Jerry Goble, I don't know if you've ever had yes. him on the show. But no, but I know one of the, first guys doing this and one of the first guys I saw as a teenager that really uh, was a just eye-opening faith inspiring experience and so in the back of my mind I suppose I always knew that such a thing was possible to be a musician a speaker in the church and and for the most part though I was just involved I was a musician even in high school in choir and musicals and things but right. but I began to play music at mass my first job out of college I was a youth minister in a parish and that was really how it began. I worked in a parish, did played music for Sunday evening mass, was a youth minister, and and it was very grassroots. When people say, "How do you get into this?" I, I don't really know. You know, I think God opens the doors just one at a time. Yeah. Uh, people are calling me saying, "Will you help out with this retreat?" Next thing you know, will you help out with this conference? And and then I find myself writing the theme song for the national youth conference. But all that happened one step at a time. You right. Know? So, so uh, I, I can't believe when I look back, I feel very blessed that I've done, I've been a part of so many things that I've been a part of, including World Youth Day in Toronto, yeah. which was extraordinary. Which was the highlight of your career, come on, admit <laughs> it. <laughs> well, you know, one of the highlights of my career is, is not, it's, it's not being a solo artist in front of thousands or anything, but I just, as you know, was on the stage singing with the choir yeah. at the closing liturgy, and yeah. singing in the liturgy with, with the Holy Father was so moving. Neat. And, yeah, it was. John Paul, in a way, as if you remember, in a way was saying goodbye in that yeah. in that homily, and I it, I cried like a baby listening yeah. to him. Yeah, yeah. I think he suspected he would not be back to another world. Yeah, I still cry when I look at all the footage and stuff. Like yeah. Don't get me started. Um, <laughs> can, can we back up like sure. uh, thirty years? And uh, what was it like growing up in the Angrisano home? 
growing up in the Angersano home was was an adventure. I have I have just one brother, but but the two of us I think were enough trouble for any two parents. And uh, we, you know, I think from a faith perspective, my my mom was the coordinator of confirmation when I was a kid, too young to be confirmed. But yeah. I grew up in a house where, you know, I was getting drugged to sit in the corner while she was talking to the confirmation kids. But it did shape me to. That church became a part of our everyday life, Interesting. And, and I was a tennis player. That was my athletic endeavor. I was a really? state state ranked tennis player in Texas. Really? So I, yeah, I I loved it, and it really came to a moment in my life where I, I, I grew up wanting to be, you know, to win Wimbledon, and, and ended up having to make some choices. Do I want to pursue music and these things? And, yeah. and ultimately, I played less tennis and did more music. But that was my childhood passion. Well, a tennis racket is kind of like a guitar. My son holds them both the same way. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Anyway, just to know for anyone who might be just tuning in, you're listening to Salt and Light Radio. I'm Pedro, and we're speaking with Steve Angrisano, our featured artist of the week. Now, Steve, you have, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but five albums that are just you, right? I believe that's true, yeah. And now this new one, Inescapable Love, we've been listening to some of the songs from the album. What's What's different about this album for you? A couple things different. One is this would be the most the most co-writing that I ever did on a yeah, recording. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, and I just loved the process. I loved working with Sarah Hart. Yes, and and she's a very talented lyrics write, lyric writer. And a lot of the songs began with with her lyrical ideas emailed to me and me putting some music to it and and us going back and forth we were not in the same room for most of the songs so but, did you did uh, you sorry did you set out to write songs together or did that just kind of happen Sarah said hey I got a, an idea I think Steve would be good for it uh, a, a little bit of both but I would say in this case I set out to write more with Sarah on this project because we wrote one or two together on my last recording, yeah, uh, my last studio album, which is, a, is called Welcome Home. And mm-hmm. the songs, uh, particularly a song called Sweet Redeemer, which has gotten yeah. a lot of uh, publishing, uh, it just it just wasn't natural. It just went very well. And and when, when I started this recording, I realized, you know, I've always been bringing a few songs to the table that I'm really passionate about and a few that I think are good, and then there, there's that last four or five that you're like, okay, I want the whole album to be good, not just half. <laughs> and so I thought, let's, let's sit down with Sarah, play these songs, and see what comes of it. And, and so a couple of those songs made the grade, and a couple of the things she brought to the table, and then we wrote uh, uh, a couple of them together just in the moment in her, in her music writing room in Nashville. Nice, yeah. So we just heard "Pour Out Your Love." So that's a song that you co-wrote with her too, right? I did, in fact, and that's one that we wrote from scratch uh, in that's in a, a nice in a writing room in Nashville at yeah. one of the publishers. Nice places. song, nice song. It was that was a an amazing process just to sit down, and they, uh, everything's built into the room, all the recording equipment, and we just yeah, we just isn't start that going, nice? You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, t- you're doing this this uh, little gig for Relevant Radio. Tell us about that. Yeah, it's been very exciting for me. I have a 30-minute Saturday show, and it's a primarily talk channel, and their Saturdays are variety. Lino Rulli has a show on yep. Saturdays, and he's also on Sirius. Well, and yeah, I have Catholic. a 30-minute, really kind of a recorded version of what I do at a parish mission or in person, which is music and story kind of wound together, the difference being it's not me singing all the music. It's of the very best in contemporary Catholic music with some inspiration and, and just 
looking at uh, obviously in Lent and Advent uh, tilted towards the seasons, but it's it's very storytelling, music oriented, and it's been a pleasure to do. I get good feedback email wise anyway, so I've enjoyed doing it. So that's good. So then, so that's uh, you said weekly. You've been doing it for about a year or eight months or so. It's been about nine months. Yeah, nice. Okay, so. Um, we're almost out of time, eh? This is crazy. But uh, I don't want to leave you without uh, you talking a little bit about... You've been coming to Calgary for for a while now, and I know you're coming back to Nova Scotia and Calgary. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. So uh, Steubenville Atlantic is in July, July 30th, the July 30th, August 1st weekend. That's right. Um, you're going to be in uh, Antigonish, Nova Scotia. Um, is that the first time you go to Steubenville Atlantic? That'll be my second time. I was there last year for the first time, and it was an amazing experience. Yeah, that's a and good uh, conference. You know, one of the neatest things about coming uh, to these events, I've been coming to Calgary a couple of times this year, and I, I love the passion and the faith that I experience at these events. And if someone's never seen me do anything before, and they're like, what does this guy do? I would say very much it's the, it's the winding together of the music that I sing, that we all sing together, the stories of faith that get shared, and, and I try very hard for it to be an experience, not just a, I sat here and listened to this guy. And right, exactly. Yeah, and that's I, what, yeah. I've loved it. I've loved the, just the honest enthusiasm of especially the youth that I've encountered in Canada. No, and that's good because that's my experience of watching you do your thing, that it's very much... Inter- I don't know, you described it really well, uh, better than I could. Um, but yeah, that it's not just sitting, let's sit and listen to this guy. It's It's very... I don't know. It's very uh, interactive, participatory. It makes me feel like I'm involved. Um, so that's Steubenville Atlantic, July 30th, August 1st, and then you're in back in Calgary, August 21st, for the One Rock uh, Youth and Young Adult Gathering. So if anybody in in, uh, in Calgary, in the Calgary area, or in Halifax, Antigonish area, and Nova Scotia, um, and you want to go check out Steve Angersano, he's coming to your <laughs> to your town. So uh, look him up, and you can find out about those conferences. Just call your diocesan offices in in Antigonish or in Calgary for more details. Um, Steve, that's all the time we have, man. But um, we're going to end with one of your songs, another song that you co-wrote with Sarah, All the Glory. Great. So, and that's a, another great song. So hopefully enough to get people uh, interested in... Uh, uh, hearing more of your music and learning more about you and uh, when they hear your name at a conference they can go and, and sign up for that workshop. That's awesome and, the, and uh, the One Rock will be a terrific event that's really open to anyone who can get there in a car because uh, it's an outdoor event with Matt Maher and a whole bunch of people. That's right, Matt Maher is going to be there and Sarah Hart's going to be on this show next week so uh, that's, that's, wow, small world. So yeah. thank you so much my friend, enjoy your barbecue Thank you. And we'll be in touch, okay? Okay, God bless. You too. Bye-bye. That was singer-songwriter Steve Angrisano. If you want to find out more about Steve, to purchase his music or to bring him to an event, uh, check out his website, steveangrisano.com. Um, uh, you can listen to his podcast, the Relevant Radio podcast, and on that site as well. Uh, check him out. Uh, I'm sure that uh, you'll enjoy what you find there. And here now, as promised, is Steve from his new album, Inescapable Love, the song All the Glory.
That was our featured artist of the week, Steve Angrisano, with his song All the Glory, that conversation with Steve first aired in June 2010. And that concludes this special edition of Salt and Light Radio. Remember that you can podcast our programs at saltandlighttv.org slash radio, and you can send us messages to radio at saltandlighttv.org. Salt and Light Radio is part of the Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation. Our website, saltandlighttv.org, has all the information you need to know about us. We are also a not-for-profit foundation, and so we rely on your support. If you like what you hear, please consider supporting our ministry. We can't do it without your support. And I don't mean just financial support. I mean all support. Keep us in your prayers, because if we're not serving and glorifying God, then there's no point in doing this. Our executive producer is Father Thomas Rosica. Our sound engineer is Javier Capella, and I'm your host, Pedro Guevara Man. Thanks for listening to Salt and Light Radio. Talk to you next week.